What is up, you nomads of productivity? Sell anywhere leaders and, and uh, professionals who are just making it happen and who have determined that your talent is not limited to your zip code. I've got someone super duper cool that you are going to have a lot of fun with. A lot of our podcasts are centered around sales and sales skills and what it takes to actually uh, connect with people from a virtual environment or, you know, in a traveling environment. Today, we've got someone who is amazing at shortening the path to President's Club. I want you to go ahead and pause right now and connect on LinkedIn and all the great places, but look her up on LinkedIn, Megan Mishak, that's spelled M-I-S-I-A-K. And Megan, I'm just gonna, we're gonna welcome you to the show. We're gonna get this thing rolling. How are you doing, lady? Doing really well. I'm about to switch places with you and head down to Florida. So have a, an exciting month ahead. It's gonna be fun. So before you tell us what you do, I kind of shared a little bit of that. Uh, this is sell anywhere. So I need to know, where are you at, girl? I am in Brooklyn. Um, I've been in the New York for about five years now. Um, but why I love connecting with you is because I've always started my career in small satellite offices. I almost never worked in the headquarters. And so I was very familiar with what it felt like to be in, in to seem like you're, you're just off in this other world and a lot of times like felt like no one cared. Um, so you couldn't just go and tap someone on the shoulder and say, hey, can I ask you a question? Um, and it, it was a lot harder to get answers when you needed them to get resources and to even feel connected to the team and the vision. Um, so I'm excited for some elements of COVID because I think it's, it's brought to light this big challenge. Uh, and it's really exciting for team members who have been screaming for resources and, and um, better cultures for years. I, well, for me, you know, not a fan of anything that can be considered a pandemic for sure. But I love the fact, mm -hmm. Megan, that this has caused people to really rethink uh, what's necessary or what's best. I think most of the times we just kind of go with the flow of whatever seems easy. And and prior to this past year, it was like, well, just show up at the office, do this thing, we'll train you, do it this way. And technologies actually created other opportunities to where we maybe don't have to be in that environment. And then now I think along with the 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 with COVID, I think it's opened up thinking and people thinking maybe maybe it doesn't have to be this way maybe we don't have to do it this way um, what i don't know I'm, I'm curious in terms of what you see and what you you felt out there just from the adjustments that people are making yeah such a good question because um i think two things are happening first if you're like me i i actually for the past five years have, have not, I have been in the headquarters. Um, my, one of my first roles in New York was with a, a CRO who was actually remote himself. He worked in Austin, Texas, and he came out to the office about once a month. But I remember very vividly him being in team meetings saying, Hey, I'm sorry. The people on the phone cannot hear what you're saying speak more clearly, who's talking, can, can you repeat the question? And every single team meeting, he had that focus on the virtual environment. But I've also been in sales teams where it's not even thought about. And 
So I think that um, what's really interesting is there is a big trend. That's the obvious trend, which is that it's forced us, almost everyone, to come to realize the challenges that um, remote employees have um, in virtual environments create. But there's also another trend happening, which um, for me, I've been even just working from home in Brooklyn, um, of course, starting my own company now, but working from home has showed me how incredible it is to be able to work remotely, to roll out of bed, um, spend more time with my husband, even simply looking out the, the window every day and not having to commute on the train in the morning. And so I think there's an incredible opportunity for people to, who... If you even look at the real estate market, people are buying houses, they're moving out of cities, they're having more space. And so I think teams will be forced even post pandemic to really look at their strategy for hiring, recruiting, um, and especially training and development as teams get more spread out across the globe. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. So you, you, you've set up, you've, you've popped a few kind of words that I'm going to dig into with you. And I'm glad you, you mentioned, you mentioned one of the words, the, the C word connection, right? This is the reason why, if you think about what is a corporation comes from the Latin word, I don't know, what, whatever cor, corp, which is means body means we're all connected to one another, right? To a common mission. You've, you've mentioned recruiting, you've mentioned onboarding. And, and I really want to take, if we can, I want to look at this from the leadership standpoint, because you can sell anywhere, but you can also lead anywhere too. And we're having to adapt and bring in people from different places. We're, by the way, that's a good thing because we, we now have availability to recruit people outside of our market. So New York, I'm sure you have like everyone in the whole world there, but some of the smaller markets now have opportunities that are right their their horizons have expanded but i want to see uh, i know you work with a lot of leaders who are who are having to make this adjustment what do you see in terms of and you take this as broad as you want to so hiring recruiting onboarding but overall i'm just thinking connection how are people who are doing it right building connection as leaders Oh, such a good question. And it is the biggest challenge. Previous to COVID, I worked in an incredible team. Um, but it, a lot of the challenge was that the culture really centered around in-office experiences. Uh, people, we, we had primary markets um, around our primary offices, right? We had um, New York, San Francisco, Chicago, and London. And we did have a few remote people. We had someone in Seattle and other markets, right? <laughs> Definitely a weirdo, but the best one. Yeah. And it was really interesting because when we went to, um, when we actually did surveys, a lot of people didn't want to come back. And I'm also seeing a ton of people that I worked very closely with moving. They're like, I don't even know what's, what's going to happen, but I don't really plan on going back to the office. Um, and so it actually is creating a good challenge for sales leaders, because if I can challenge you to think differently about culture, I think you can actually expand your ability to attract people from different markets. But it is a challenge when you can't simply say, hey, come into our cool office with free snacks and massages in office, right? You really have to change your strategy. 
So I'll tell you about a different client of mine who um, they're been, they've been extremely agile. They're actually based in London, but they're building out a North American sales team. They were planning this big transition even before COVID, but once COVID hit, they realized, hmm, maybe I don't have to build this team even in London. Maybe I can build it in North America and maybe it doesn't have to be based in New York. Maybe we can simply have it fully remote. What would that mean for our ability to, to even find top talent across the country and also to support those employees? And even I remember when we were trying to recruit into San Francisco, um, just like even the the cost of living is so expensive there. It was really hard to get talent and there's so much competition as well. So I think for employees out, outside of uh, market uh, of those core markets and for um, employees themselves that don't want to necessarily live in a big city just to get those premium positions, it's a great op- opportunity. So how, but, the, yeah. the culture you you said they they redefined culture. Yeah. How did how did that happen? That's like you you like my brain's kind of like like it's blanking here. Yeah, so oh this is one of my favorite companies. Um before working with them as a client, the founder, um female founder was actually a strong mentor of mine. And so the first person I reached out to and their culture is so strong and it's really carried through the virtual experience. So for them, they even have a um, a chorus, a, a choir that the founder leads. And what happened when they went virtual? They took the their culture virtual. So they had um, they were doing choir practice over Zoom and they even like kept it going through um through things like um, you know Zoom meetings and events, but for them, it also they did really they were agile with it, so they did change it, and that's why they brought me in because they found that salespeople still they wanted to grow and to learn, and they realized that um, actually using training and enablement and ongoing support was something really important to them. Um, so one of the first things we did was actually to launch a coaching framework. And I think this is really interesting because when you're define in an it. office, yeah. Define coaching framework because I think, yeah. I think a lot of us can think about that in different ways. Like, yeah. Tell you're me. like, what is a coaching framework? I've never seen one of these. Yeah. Same. Built something because I saw such a big need. So when you're in the office, you have an opportunity to form relationships with people and even to form stronger relationships with your manager, right? You probably have more open, vulnerable conversations. I don't know about you, but I've I've definitely like pulled people into conference rooms when I've been in the office. And it can be more challenging to build relationships with people in a virtual environment. But through, when I say a coaching framework, we really just debunked that. And we said, instead of having coaching and rep development as this nebulous thing that really there's no structure, there's no format, it's just hitting your numbers. We actually wanted to assess people in several ways and to really support them in a more formulaic and measurable framework. So what that looked like, um, it actually started with defining what performance was. And we, we fit it into three main buckets. The first was the obvious one, right? What do you think of when you think of performance? It's Salesforce numbers. So it's performance metrics. We actually got pretty granular outside of what we expected them to do, which was you know lagging indicators of success, AK, did you hit your quota? 
What is your close rate? You know, the basic things. Mm -hmm. We also looked at things like the average deal size and um, really using data in a way that was, was a little bit more interesting deal size had even like setting some goals for people had, have you in this role? Um, and we, you also did it role specific. So for this role, we want you to, what mastery looks like is, is even like hitting three deals that are over $60,000. Um, and having some really interesting numbers that are not necessarily the ones that affect your compensation. But the other two, and I think a lot of people are are more familiar with that way of tracking yep. performance, right? But the other two in, were really interesting. Um, the first, or I guess the second one that we looked at was company values. We actually got very granular around, we, we, we set up what the company values were and we listed out what it meant for the sales team to actually demonstrate those things. So we started um, assessing people on... Um, on grit and what that looked like, on um, you know compassion and how compassionate they were towards their clients, towards their employees, towards their peers, um, and also the third bucket, which I was most excited about, was skills and competencies. So many times I hear from people that coaching is really hard in a virtual environment because you just don't have as much time with managers. Um, I know this because. When I was in training, um, it was, I'll just be very honest that when I would sit in the office, people would come by my desk anytime I was there. Like, I see you're at your desk. Do you have five minutes for me to go through this proposal with you? And, you know, virtual environments don't necessarily support that as much. You can't just stop by or, you know, work with someone after hours. So having a more formulaic way of looking at performance, it actually makes sure that you have more conversations about these things. Okay. So if I'm, if I'm a manager, mm -hmm. what my manager brain, I'm just like one of those other managers, right? I'm just hearing you say, Oh, more zoom. You're telling me to zoom is what you're telling me, Megan. And I'm sick of zoom. I'm already on 25 different zoom calls every day. You just told me more zoom. I don't think that's only what you're telling me, or maybe, maybe I, as that manager, am looking at it incorrectly. Can you, can you, can you reframe yeah. that from, from what they might be thinking? Yes, absolutely. And I'm really glad you brought that up because I don't necessarily think that the, the answer is more meetings or more time spent. It actually, and I, I even in a, um, in a, non-versional, like when you're in a headquartered office, I think that the training and coaching is not as structured. And even all that time that you spend could even be inefficient. So I think this, this strategy around making coaching more of a framework perspective can actually make sure that whether you're in a, an in-person experience, in an office, or in a virtual environment, mm -hmm. the time you spend with your reps and your, um, if you're a rep, your manager is going to be really efficient. Right. So when you do this, when you create this oh. framework, you basically have a scorecard for every rep. And I ask you, um, based on scoring them on performance metrics, uh, values, as well as skills and competencies, we actually have the manager every single quarter prepare a development plan. Can you walk us through mm -hmm. like an example of what this looks like and feels like? So like, yeah. Yeah. Give me, give me the how, bring me in, maybe make me your, uh, I'm your sales rep and you're the manager. 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So um, normally I I walk people through it and I'm like, hey, um, we're launching a new coaching framework and the whole goal is to help you hit your goals in the fastest way possible. So it's broken down into three components. We have some performance metrics, which I know you use Salesforce. None of, none of the things should be surprising here. But we're also going to actually start assessing you on the values of the company and the team, as well as skills and competencies. And I know that these are things that we have talked about loosely, right? Like we've done coaching calls. We've done, uh, we've of course had conversations in our one-to-ones, but I know that it hasn't been as structured as you may want. Mm-hmm. So what I would love for us to do before our next one-to-one is actually um, I'll be writing down my notes. So I'll be doing, you know, just green, yellow, red for values and competencies, um, as well as what I want us to walk away with is, is top three strengths and top three areas of focus for the next quarter. But I also want you to do a self-assessment. So can you take a look? We're going to pull the numbers from Salesforce automatically for you. You don't have to worry about that. But for the values and the skills, would you be able to go through each one of these? Um, there are some definitions if you have a question of, of which, what any of these mean. Um, so I'll send you the framework. But would you be able to do quick scrub, green, yellow, red for each of these categories and also pull out very specifically, the top three things you think you're doing really well right now, and the top three areas of focus that you want to work on with me, with the company, and um, with your peers, so that we can actually get really specific about how we can make that happen next quarter. Is that fair? Yeah. <laughs> Got it. So yeah. what you're doing is you're you're getting me to express what I want, yeah, rather than from on high telling me what I should want. Is that what is that where we're going? Yeah. And um, ideally, this is paired with what I call a coaching. Um, I have a coaching and like a career development plan. It's a one slide framework. I also should preface it with that. So even before the um, or as a part of these conversations with the coaching framework, I think it's also really important to sim- simply start with a plan. So Anytime I work with um, with new hires or even anyone new in, in general, I usually have them fill out a career plan. And this is one thing that's really simple, but really important. Because I, I'm curious, like, how many times have your managers asked you, "Hey, so like outside of the numbers, what are your what are your personal goals for the quarter?" Like, often, not often. So, so talk to me about that because this is the one thing that I feel like in general, um, managers struggle with, you know, I mean, uh, it was years ago that Simon Sinek, uh, came out with start with why, and everyone was all excited in there. Like, okay, that's the why. And here's, here's my why here's our company. Why? And what's your why? And here's our, and so there was a, there was a, I think a lot of that, but, but the problem is, um, for, for, for people who are in companies that are moving Mm -hmm. is I've met a lot of people who struggle to ignite what I feel like is that most important, most powerful part of an individual, which is it's what they want. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't think that a lot of people are having that conversation. And even when they are, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's not normal for them. So it's not comfortable and it's not comfortable. So they don't do it. They avoid it. And so I'm finding a lot of that. How do, how, how do you help people to overcome that hurdle so that they can really get into the the space of their, you know, of their people and really activate 
everything that's in there versus the minimum, which is what people normally bring to, uh, you know, to work environment. Donnie, I'm so glad you asked that. I have two really, um, easy ideas, but I'm glad you asked this because even this coaching framework and getting more specific, like I think this is actually the biggest challenge right now because you mentioned a lot of tools and technologies. Sales enablement is on trend right now. So many new teams are are hiring people and are throwing systems and technologies at it. Like they're getting Gong and Chorus and like HighSpot and Showpad and all of these different systems. But if you don't start with a why, it doesn't matter the how. Like you're just going to be like throwing some extra work and effort at your sales um, reps if you don't truly know what they want to achieve through it. So really important to understand that why. And um, the, the good news is that it's actually really easy. So two ideas I have for sales leaders and for salespeople, you can just do this yourself and kind of manage up, right? But the first one, um, for all new hires... I know it can be really overwhelming to ask them like, hey, day one, what do you want out of the next like 30, 60, sure. 90? They're like, um... Yeah, they're not going to remember. It's going to change. Right? They're like, yeah. I don't even know what this company like does barely. So I kind of want a little bit more time to just get... But you can start with what's called um, what or what I call a personal goals worksheet. So really simple questionnaire. It's about 20 questions. And it covers things like, hey, why did you choose the company and their role? What excited you about it? What are your career aspirations in the next one, three, and five years? What would make you feel really proud of the first 30, 60, and 90 days at the company? What motivates you? How can we incentivize you? Um, even Oh my goodness. One of my favorites is what are your workplace pet peeves? It's also really interesting when the manager fills out, um, you kind of if they share a manager version of this too, because let's be real, we all have workplace pet peeves. And for me, it's been really helpful to understand where people are coming from. I'm like, oh, they really don't like when people are late to meetings. So with this employee, I need to make sure that I respect that boundary. Um, even, oh my goodness, one of another favorite question is how do you find leadership and management? So all of these questions are really easy, but if you can just create a quick form and send it out to your entire team, um, I think it's this a questionnaire like this is most effective when you're you first have people joining. So day one, um, really helpful to get to know how your employee likes to work. But usually when they are um, beyond the onboarding program, so. I don't know what that looks like for depending on on if that's you know three months or six months. I then like to take a deeper dive. Once they've gone through ramp, they're they're feeling pretty settled on their role. I um I have them walk through what I call a career development plan. So one slide sheet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually have it linked on my LinkedIn for anyone who um, who wants it. I always give it away for free because it's so valuable. But it actually is just a slide that asks them first, what's their mission statement? What, who are you? Like what matters You're to you? You're asking for their personal yeah. mission statement. This is their some personal mission statement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, if you're a leader and you help someone find their personal mission statement. Yeah. Now, you know, what's interesting though, I think asking questions like this, you use the word leader. I think that things like this are the things that turn managers into leaders, right? 
is not just managing the numbers and making sure deals close. Mm -hmm. It's truly working with someone, working with your employees to help them accomplish their personal goals, not just the company's quota for them. So this is the, the, the thing is, Megan, there, there's, there's this divided mind, right? And I'm again, I'm putting myself in a place. I've seen this person. You've seen this person so many times. So I want you to think about the person who they feel like there's so many things to do. I have to do the things. I'm very busy. I have lots of busy things to do. And you're asking me to slow down, but I feel like I have to go faster. Please talk to that person for me. Talk them into yep. the right place. Yes, bring, 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 them, bring them home for me, please. So... I think the biggest struggle for managers, and I'm going to be very honest, I have a lot of compassion for sales leaders. And I know it's easy to to be frustrated by the state of sales today, but also I have compassion because I've seen managers walk into work one day, they're top salesperson. They walk into work the next day and they got a promotion. And they, you literally just get a few more sales reports from Salesforce or whatever CRM you're using. And it's like, congratulations, you're a sales leader. <laughs> and it's almost like they go from having one territory and one quota to having like seven territories and seven quotas. And a lot of times that's how it can feel like because we don't necessarily give them the tools to develop skills that will make their team better and more effective so that they can, again, like um, we don't necessarily give them the tools to lead and train versus manage. So yeah, I would I would actually um, tell those people like one, I know how hard it is to feel like you're managing seven territories and then figuring out like, okay, when do I do this? Like you really want me to take time away from closing deals. But the thing is, it's almost like saying, I don't have time to stop for gas if you're driving it on the highway, right? I don't have time to stop for gas. Well, guess what's gonna happen? You got to break down on the side of the road. Yeah. And I think breaking down on the side of the road is really important because what that looks like is your team member is going to leave. They're, you're going to have to hire and, and recruit. And who knows if those people are going to be successful. And even though we think like, oh, this is going to take some time. Imagine all the time that you're going to save with team members who actually know exactly what skills they need to develop, who are actively really like bought into the development of themselves and of you. Imagine if they come to meetings like more prepared, they're doing their jobs better, and especially the impact on onboarding. Imagine if it took people three months to get up to speed versus a year, right? It's it's honestly critical for sales leaders who don't just want to be managers, managing the numbers and actually managing the territories themselves, which often happens, but to be leaders who really grow their teams, grow their, their, um, the skills of their team and actually can work less because their teams are doing more. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and, and to put on top of that, the one thing that I can say can be tempting, especially when we're looking at we're metrics based, we got to get results. It's all of that is that feels like a speed game. Yeah. Feels like I have to go fast. And and uh salespeople, same thing, right? Oh, I need to make another call. I need to make another call. But sometimes your best deal is already looking at you in the face. And if you would slow down long enough, if you'd slow down at the appropriate places and times with the right people, everything becomes easier. Yeah. And to me, this is one of those areas, Megan, where if people will slow down and find a way, and maybe it is awkward in the beginning, 
you know, uh, absolutely go get, go see what Megan's one cheater is about because you need to be doing something with your people that helps you to engage them. If you are, if you are not tapping into this area, if you're not tying their vision to your vision, by the way, I think that's why they call it a co-mission, right? Cause mm-hmm. it's missions kind of joined together. If, if we're not, if, if we're not doing that, we're missing out on expendable effort. People are showing up and they're giving you minimal, the bare minimal. And especially by the way, now that you're not looking over their shoulders and they're in their home office. Yeah. How you, this is important to tap into because if, if you make it about them and not about you, you'll get a lot further. This is, this is what, this is leading. This is, this is yeah. drawing people towards what they want. You can't, it doesn't work towards what you want for what they want. Bring me, bring me here. I want you uh, like, I'm going to, I'm going to paint a picture and I'm going to see maybe if you can engineer this one. Okay. So I want you to imagine you showed up and, um, I, I, I transported you into, into this office, by the way, I've seen this office with this person. Um, they, they had their, they probably have in between 50 to a hundred salespeople that used to come into the office all the time. They relied on a really good office culture. Hey, we're fun. We, you know, whatever it is, I can, I can fire you up and make you run through a wall. They relied on, on that type of a setting. And now they're no longer, they no longer have that. This person has lost momentum. Um, This person um, doesn't necessarily differentiate with who they are talking to. So they, they end up fielding a lot of calls and putting out a lot of fires. And um, they probably end the day a little bit exasperated. They're 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 moving forward, but they could be going faster. And in, in, in a what I don't mean faster, like the way we we're just talking about. But what what do you do to that person? Larger team. Um, no, there's there's no they're not using any particular tools or anything like that. You can make it however you want to. How would you how would you structure that? Yeah, and I think this is a great opportunity for a framework like this, um, like a coaching framework, because I don't know about you, Donnie, but a lot of times when I go into companies and when offices like that, what I hear from a sales trainer's perspective, like what they want is, Hey, we need to launch some training. People are demotivated. We don't know what's going on. And they're kind of just like trying to throw solutions at it. But imagine if we flipped that, Mm. because I think what I'm hearing from, from this employee is that they know that there's discontentment. They know that people are struggling, but they don't necessarily know what to do. Mm-hmm. And that is really scary as a leader. They feel like they're already doing so much. They're already working so hard, putting in the work and, and the hours. And they're like, why aren't people happy? If we can, and I think a lot of times the in the back of their mind right now with COVID, it's like, oh, I can't wait until we get back into the office. But my fear, and, and honestly, my expectation is that it's not going to be solved when we get back to the office. Nope. And so what I would actually encourage these, um, these sales leaders to think about is, are really like two things. First, do you actually know what people are struggling with? Do you know why they're struggling, what they want to focus on? So like, even taking the expectation that we as sales leaders know what is best and what our teams are thinking, like just like with sales, stop trying to read our prospects' minds and ask them, 
And so really having, um, even just setting aside, by the way, like this coaching framework, usually it, it, it um, even the, uh, the career development plan is one hour per rep, 30 minutes, eh, maybe an hour and a half, 30 minutes for you to just like walk through, Hey, this is what it is. Um, it's, it's everything from, you know, mission statement, current challenges, um, consistent blockers, goals for this quarter, next quarter, annual personal goals, stretch goals. But more importantly, it is that development plan. Top three strengths for this quarter. How can we actually like lean into those strengths and top three areas of focus and assigned mentors? And then I have them do it themselves. I say, hey, can you, can you create this? And we can go over it um, in our next session. And what I find is that by asking team members where they're at and not assuming, actually just asking them and saying like, what do you want to focus on? And then even from a managerial perspective, using more of that formal framework to say, okay, like this is what people want. And this is where we think they need to focus. So kind of like aligning with the team member, right? Because a lot of times they don't necessarily, they, they don't always know strengths and weaknesses. Like people have blind spots, myself included. I ask people to help me, my peers, coaches, and mentors to help me refine my sheet. Um, I think it's actually a lot easier to find a solution that your team wants. Because most of the time, if you're using, again, that if you're looking at all the skills and competencies, the strengths and the weaknesses across the team, then it's really easy to actually start seeing the patterns. Where does my team, one, where are we strong in terms of values? Where do we need to improve? From a skills and companies perspective, how can I help people accomplish their goals? And what you'll realize is that a lot of times people have similar strengths and weaknesses. And if they're different in their strengths and weaknesses, it's a great opportunity for knowledge share and, and mentoring. And so if we can actually ask the team what they want, what they want to focus on, what they're struggling with. And I'm not, I don't mean the numbers. Those are lagging indicators of success. But the leading indicators, are they struggling from a values perspective? Are they demotivated? What like even current challenges do they list beyond the numbers? Because like, let's be real. Sales rep have, they have the, most sales reps have their numbers memorized. You don't need to tell them, hey, the team's not doing very well. They're like, I know I stare at Salesforce numbers every single day. It's really helping them identify what are those leading indicators? Is it mindset? Is it skills? Is it competencies? Is it that you do feel disconnected? Mm. The easiest way to actually get them to buy into you know, connecting with peers and, and to have actually those cultural moments. Imagine if you stopped just having like virtual coffee or virtual happy hours that like no one wants to go to. And if you said, hey, we're launching a, a virtual mentoring program. We're going to work with you to figure out your strengths and weaknesses for every single person. And we're going to match you up based on those. It, it becomes a lot easier. Yeah. If you simply ask your team and do it in a more formulaic way, and then you figure out how you can actually attack those, those weaknesses um, more holistically. Love it. Um, take, take me here. I, I know mm -hmm. you've done a lot of work with, right? Uh, the changeover with rep development, the changeover in onboarding. It's a different experience, right? We're not giving you the, uh, the wonderful office tour and looking at the, the wonderful relics that are here. And frankly, 
now we're recruiting people that are on the opposite side of the country or in you know, across the pond, as they say, in London. And so if that's happening, like what's what is the new onboarding? Oh, my goodness. I love this question because I have been saying for years that every most people ask me, they're like, hey, hey can we could just like do a two week boot camp? Like, no because it doesn't work. And I've had so many people, whether you're virtual or in office, um, I always ask this interview question, hey, like, tell me about your experience with sales training. And so many people tell me, oh, we had such an incredible sales training program my last company. I'm like, amazing, tell me about it. Like, what was it like? What did you learn? And they say, yep, um, it was a two week boot camp. It was like my first few weeks on the roll. And... Um, I don't really remember anything from it. It was a long time ago. And I'm like, oh, interesting. So what's the new Doesn't what's work. Your answer to that? Yeah. So for me, what this looks like um, is I think that the changes we need to make um, are really are, are realizing that, again, culture and performance is not just having people into the office and like feeling proud about like the snacks right? Um, what good onboarding looks like in a, in a virtual environment, it starts with the why. It starts with, again, the personal goals worksheet. How do you want to work? What, how do you, you know, what does your ideal schedule look like? Um, it's very flexible as well. Um, as you have more people that, again, even with diversity and, and equity and inclusion, we're having even more diverse people join and those people will all need something different. So even for me, I mean, I, for the past five years, I've used these frameworks myself, right? And I cannot tell you how many people have told me, Megan, I've never been asked these questions before. Like no one asked me how I learn. Am I am I more of a visual learner and auditory? Like no one asks. So really asking questions, what, how do you learn? What environment do you perform best in? How can we help you create that environment? Do you need any specific, you know, equipment or resources? Um, and even, even just like asking people what their goals are and helping them connect with people. One of the easiest ways to set up a mentoring program, for example, um, with the interview process, I simply ask people pretty standard question. What are your three strengths and three weaknesses? But I take it a step beyond that because I document those. And then when, when they join the organization, I connect to them with people, one person that actually will help them further refine their strengths, one and one mentor that will help them overcome their weaknesses. And that's, again, we need to not just rely on these informal ways of building culture, but also recognize that the more formal, formal ways are actually pretty easy. Connect people for exercises like right versus just saying hey go and and meet some people on slack or like do some virtual coffees over zoom okay. right so you've so we've got a little mentor triad going on here do you put the brunt then of their onboarding onto the uh, onto the onto their mentors or are you i guess i'm assuming you're guiding this in some way is there like so the the two week boot camp was removed now we have two mentors and, and What's yeah, so that's only that's a very small piece of the puzzle, and I'm really glad you asked about that. Um, so I do help with um, help org organizations build onboarding programs, and I'm going to give you the the really um, the in a nutshell what it looks like um, because 
a lot of times I help teams that don't have a trainer. I think that's a lot of times what what's realistic, right? Um, even if you have an internal trainer, this this system can work, but it also works really well even if you just have managers and and virtual employees. Well, I, so I like this, mm-hmm. especially like on the small business side. And for those who you like, yeah. like like you really are taking advantage of your resources. We think we need to have some manual, but the reality is it already lives in the head of your best people. And I I, I think yeah. it's brilliant for tapping. Um, the right people. But again, I'm just, again, I'm thinking like, how do I do head it? into the head with some <laughs> of these other people? Yeah. Yeah. How do you do it? Two easy things. First, don't. So I actually structure um, the onboarding program over about eight weeks. It's not an eight week boot camp. They're actually in their roles building those skills. Right. But over the eight weeks, we essentially break the sales process into usually like three to five core onboarding checkpoints. And the entire program is structured around that. By the way, those checkpoints are pretty easy um, and they follow the sales process because the whole goal of it is to help them get their first deal. I think a lot of times this is how onboarding is structured very informally, but by adding just a few specific things, you can really increase the performance. So what these um, checkpoints look like is most of them are role plays. So for example, the, the first one is, um, I call it the prospecting checkpoint. And you basically just jump into a room with a sales rep and they're, they've been working with you over the last few weeks. Um, usually it's about, I usually have the first checkpoint like the, the second week, um, but they've been working with you for two weeks to do because they know what they're working towards the checkpoint. It, it encompasses um, an elevator pitch. And usually we, we give them a few like five accounts to work with and they're real accounts. Stop using, why are we using like these hypothetical deals, right? Why don't we actually just give them their territory? And I think the big, the big objection is, well, I don't, I don't have their territory ready in the first week. Can you give them five accounts to work with or three even? And working on real accounts so that they're at, they're not just spinning their wheels saying like, Hey, we don't have, we're working on your territory. Just shadow some people for a few weeks a few weeks, that's them not, not making money. And managers don't like that. Sales reps don't like that. So even just structuring it, working on three accounts that are hand-selected by managers saying like, these are pretty, these could actually have a, a good chance of getting into. Um, and then in the first checkpoint, so week two, they've done account research. They have an elevator pitch prepared for one of those accounts. And they actually have like, I, I give them um, an account research sheet and they, they go through the entire research with us. We're asking questions. They, they also form hypotheses. And that's, again, a good learning opportunity because sometimes they're not necessarily accurate. So you're working with them to, to say, how can we improve all of the, this outreach? And they actually show us you know emails or cold calls, whatever their strategy is. And um, the goal of that session is to walk away with not only your first email, to one of your top targets, but with feedback from management. And I'll tell you that we've actually, um, one of the first BDRs, business development reps that I, I ran this program with, she was a superstar. We, she was really excited about this new program. And um, the very first email she sent was to a top target and we booked the meeting and it was with Burt's Bees, a fantastic company. So again, like just making it more real and actually working on real deals and doing the things that reps are going to be doing, but just in a more structured format, 
and not waiting until they have the full territory or trying to I think a lot of times people think of training where they're like, well, we don't have a formal trainer. And I think that the training has to be in a classroom environment. It has to be very formal. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. And um, I, so in, in, as you're going through this, I, I would say that um, this stuff is only hard if we make it hard. And the yeah. shortest path to learning is to get someone to act. Like if we can get action, doesn't have to be perfect action, but it has to be action. That's the only way that someone is going to come to terms with the knowledge um, you remind me of a mentor. I was a school teacher for four years, Megan, mm-hmm. and it changed my teaching and later on my leading um, world. And it was this, uh, if you're going to train anything, it goes easy framework. I do it. We do it. Mm-hmm. You do it. I check it. So whether or not you have a manual, whether or not you have, you know, Megan doing work, like whether or not we have these things that like we can simplify it just to that any task i do it we do it you do it i check it and and allow that uh development to take its place what do you what do you think of that does that match your does that absolutely Absolutely. I usually use like a crawl, walk, run marathon. So the crawl a lot of times is like formal expectation setting, maybe viewing some resources. The walk a lot of times is is more of like an, an in-person session where, and when I mean in-person, it's more of like, you know, you're in a meeting with them um, and you're walking them through something. Yeah. The run is them trying it themselves. And then the marathon is, is there like, once they've even gone through onboarding, it's like, let's, onboarding training doesn't stop with onboarding then it's really been just the marathon it's not the sprint to their first deal and yeah so for me like it's so easy to do that in um in onboarding imagine if your first eight weeks was simply helping them throughout the entire process like so many times we're like let's do a discovery training this is how a call should go it's like how are you actually tracking if they're doing it then Right. So for me, every step of the process over those, there's like usually five checkpoints, prospecting one, help give them, you have to have them give their elevator pitch to a top prospect that they're actually going to reach out to after the checkpoint, go over the the account research, you know, validate their hypotheses, um, then review their pitch and then launch it. Discovery, you do a discovery role play. Hopefully they've actually booked that meeting. So you're actually helping them prepare for the upcoming meeting. And imagine if they could actually just make those mistakes with you versus the client. And you're doing that for every step of the sales process. Mm. So it actually becomes a lot easier because I do think that that framework fits pretty well with a lot of times what managers are doing loosely, it just makes it a bit more structured. And I really like it as well because it gives sales reps expectations. They know what they're working towards. And by the way, they know that it's going to be hard. I I mean, I think the biggest pushback I got when I rolled this out was, hey, people are complaining this really hard. I'm like, okay, well, don't you think the job is harder than a role play? Right. And they're like, Okay. And you know, what's funny is it was actually that frustration was only coming from a lot of times it was coming from the managers are like, are you sure that we should be asking them to do this much? I'm like, they're going to be going into sales. That's going to be way harder than any fake exercise we put them through. Right. But from the sales reps, I was hearing, oh my goodness, Meg, this is going to be really hard. 
And I'm like, I know, but aren't you going to, are you excited that you're going to have to do it in front of us versus a client? You're going to have, you know, the head of sales, um, giving you the tough questions and us working through them together versus like a client from one of your top prospects asking you a question that you don't know the answer to. And so I think creating that safe environment is actually really helpful. And ironically for managers, like it's not that hard. No. And it it makes the sales reps so much more successful and more successful faster that it usually washes out any complaints they have about the the effort required because people are getting up to speed so much faster. Yes. Yes, yes. And we we know all decision requires a place of conflict, a place where things there might be sparks. And yeah, uh, too many times managers, I think, do avoid exactly that. And so, uh, Megan, now is a time where we have to say goodbye. But I want to I yeah. want you, you to tell us how we can connect with you and um, where where that happens. And hopefully some of the listeners will continue the magic. They love what you said. Um, I, I think it's been great. Where Where can we find you? Yeah. So LinkedIn is the easiest place. Um, I actually have that career development plan. So for any sales reps, even for you, Donnie, if you want to steal that and run with it for people you mentor and and coach, it's a really great free resource. Um, I also share a lot of content and strategies and ideas. Um, But I also have another offer. Um, I love geeking out with people. even if it's just asking a question about how to implement some of these ideas. Um, so I have on my website, path to that's T-O, presidentsclub.com. People also can book a virtual coffee with me. Love it. She is Megan Mishak. She helps great teams do great work. She puts it to process. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. And for those of you who are out there, trying to find a way. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for forging your own path. And thank you for deciding that if you can sell anywhere, you can sell everywhere. If you can lead from anywhere, you can lead everywhere. And your talent is not limited to your zip code. Thanks, Megan.